This episode is full of spoilers and contains some not-so-super language. citizens welcome to the fortress of potitude i'm dave michaels i'm brian betts and we are the cape podcasters 1984 and this is the show that when you wish upon a man even if your name is diane oh <laughs> la, 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 la. You your dreams come man. true i had to do the la la's so disney didn't sue me and also i didn't have anything there That's but fair. mostly Disney doesn't sue. Even Jiminy Cricket repeats the first line again. Does he really? When you wish upon a star, it makes no difference who you are. When you wish upon a star, your dreams come true. That's pretty fucking lazy. But I mean, he's a cricket it? after all. Let's cut him a little slack. It's right. Uh, a cricket singing in the first place is amazing. It's definitely more forgivable than Kid Rock rhyming things with things. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> uh, Kid Rock on the level of a cricket. <laughs> Nailed it. No conscience. I don't want to put him that far, actually. No, let's, yeah. Come on now. If we're, if we're ranking musical artists, I'm going Jiminy Cricket before Kid Rock every day. <laughs> I'm going to have to agree with you. Ba with the bod to fuck you, Kid Rock. <laughs> that seems like a good enough segue to get into our movie we're talking about this week, which is Wonder Woman 1984, directed by Patty fucking Jenkins. I guess it's from 2020, right? Officially? Yeah, I think officially Christmas 2020. Because this kind of is the COVID movie. Yeah, this is like, hey, we're going to do a thing. Uh, everybody gets to see it. It came out on HBO Max. Didn't even bother going to the theaters right away. Or did it go to the theaters simultaneously? I don't. I think it was a simultaneous release, but it was, it was a very small, limited release because most theaters were closed. Uh, who do you know that actually was like, yeah, I went to see Wonder Woman 84 in theaters? Literally nobody. Same here. And we know a lot of people who watch this shit. Yeah. We sure do. But it was like, hey, I have HBO Max already. Why would I go out into the world where there is COVID? Which you have now. <laughs> I, which I presently, after two years, finally caught the vid. Yeah. So basically, if this was the opening to Peacemaker, do you want to taste it? Brian would say, yes, but I can't. <laughs> Accurate. You've seen this though, right? I have. I saw this uh, on Christmas in 2020. Give me your thoughts, day of, watching it. You know, I was underwhelmed, but I think I think it was part of the whole watching it on a small screen and trying to do other things. I watched it on my computer of all places, so I didn't really get to, you know, experience it the way the movie was intended. Tom Cruise would have come to your house and just repeatedly kicked you in the dick if he heard you say any of that right now. Because <laughs> he's been on such a kick of like, we made Top Gun for the big screen, which was fantastic on the big screen, by the way. But sure like, we was. made it for the big screen. It's not meant for the little screen. So thank God we made a Billy because it's going to be real uncomfortable watching that thing on your little laptop uh, in months from now. I'm just going to stream it on an old iPhone 4. Perfect. Forever. <laughs> on an iPod Touch. Yes. Along with episodes of The Office. Because that's all that's on iTunes now, I think. I don't know how iTunes works. I'm an Android boy. <laughs> what are your thoughts this time around? I enjoyed it a whole lot more this time. Perfect. Same boat, same invisible jet, same, I don't know what, anymore. <laughs> you just want to get into this thing. 
there's a lot to talk about, but also not at all. Yeah, it's um, it's a long movie, and things happen, but they happen pretty slowly. <laughs> they do. Uh, this movie takes its sweet time. It sure does. 151 minutes, and it feels like 151 minutes. Without further ado, we go live to Themyscira. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the annual Amazon Games. I'm Kevin Harlan, and joining me in the booth is Elle Michaels. Happy to be here, Kevin. It's a beautiful day in sunny Themyscira. As always, today's competition will be broken up into three segments. First up is an American Ninja Warrior-style obstacle course, followed by a lengthy swim through the ocean. And finally comes the intense horseback archery competition. That's exactly right, Al. The grueling course will lead the contestants right back here to the Coliseum. The first Amazonian to return and hurl her spear through the ring will be crowned champion. Our contestants are lining up now, and what's this? It appears a 12-year-old has lined up to compete. <laughs> I've never seen anything like this before. Careful, Kevin. I'm not quite sure how age works with these broads. Timelines get real fucky. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! That somehow worked! (laughs) Also, when Kevin Harlan says owl, he says owl, and that's fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, it's very difficult to get an AI to say owl correctly. Oh, it's so good. Like, if this was a weird fucky Winnie the Pooh doing sports or whatever it's like here's owl michaels (laughs) and i'm pretty sure that's like a a bojack bit right there we wrote it for them even though they don't need the help they're terrific they absolutely are but yeah young diane prince played once again by lily aspel lily fucking aspel participates in the amazon games against older competitors but she's absolutely crushing them in the competition which would make me as an adult so mad well in all fairness She's got CGI on her side. That's true. Because everyone's running at a normal speed, and she is getting help. You don't think the other ones are getting help with their (laughs) gigantic leaps and whatnot? Well, I mean, that part, yeah, they're getting help. But also, there's like little Diana-sized holes for her to dive through that these Amazon ladies are not going to be able to get through. So it's like they clearly knew. That's very true. That one day, it was written in the stars that a weird 12-year-old would just dive into this competition. (laughs) We assume 12. She's played by a 12-year-old, but again, no idea how age works with no, the broads. She could be like 37. Who knows? Right. That, I mean, that was, was Al Michaels, by the way, who said that, not me. That's Called true. Broads. Al Michaels notoriously is not allowed to call women sports anymore, according to this show. <laughs> <laughs> Timelines get fucky, according to Al Michaels. That's right. Diana is leading the race, but she pulls the old watching behind you while riding a horse by tree branches move and gets knocked off her horse. Right, after she's doing so well, then like a little bit of cockiness slips and you're like, I'd do that. Then never look behind you, look ahead. That's the whole thing with racing, right? She ends up taking a shortcut, missing one of the archery targets, catching up to her horse and leading the other competitors back to the Coliseum. But before she can launch her spear through the rings and catch the golden snitch or whatever, <laughs> Antiope, played by Robin fucking Wright, picks her up, and physically removes her from the competition. Diana gets all bitchy about it. She's like, what are you doing? I was going to win. She's like, no, no, no. Not like that. You cheated. (laughs) She might be 12. We don't know. Right, right. She could be 40. No, we got to cut a limb off and count the rings. Is that how you (laughs) measure it? I don't know. 100%. Don't do that to your children. Just remember their birthdays. It's easier. Antiope explains to Diana 
and neither I nor Patty Jenkins can stress enough just how important this single line is to the rest of the movie, nothing good is born from lies. The heaviest hands ever. They're so heavy. <laughs> Dave, I have an actual IMDb trivia fact. Yes, fire away, nice and early. Lily Aspel, young Diana, performed all the required physical stunt work herself at the age of 12 because it was deemed that she did a better job than her own stunt doubles. Yeah, I mean, she's 12. They're like a floppy kid still. You're athletic when you're 12, no matter who you are. Do you think they had like 12-year-old stunt doubles? Um, I'm not quite sure how that works. She's like a, a lanky kid. So yeah. finding that type of body is probably a little tricky to do. But also, she's only working for like a week on this thing. Maybe. That's I don't know true. how long it took him to do it. That could have been a day for all I know. It's green screen. Who knows? Well, that little girl did all her own stunts. Cool. 1984. That's right. Time jump. Diana, now a fully grown Gal Gadot. Gal fucking Gadot. There it is. She is not so subtly heroing around Washington, D.C. and in Northern Virginia. No, she's just outright running around in her Wonder Woman costume, like out in the open. <laughs> yeah. But she also wants to be secretive. She's being super secretive, but not at all. So it's a weird mixture of, do you want people to know or don't you? You need to make up your mind here, Diana. <laughs> One day at the mall, some dudes are feeling particularly heisty. So she puts a stop to that. And I already have another IMD trivia fact. Oh, my God. Do you have as many as last week as last week? No, no, I nearly died. I nearly fell off the chair and died. (laughs) Fewer trivia facts. All right, go ahead. But not necessarily better in quality. (laughs) Fair enough. It is IMDb after all. The symbol of Nuclear Man from Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, can be seen on the floor of the mall. That's fantastic. Isn't it? I love that. And can we talk about this mall? Oh, we absolutely should talk about this mall. Because this is just straight up the 80s in Mall 4. It is so 80s. It has an arcade and other 80s things. Like neon colors everywhere. Oh, absolutely. Rolled up jacket sleeves. Interestingly enough, no mullets. No mullets. That we'll get is there. interesting. And also, you have people who are just over the top, which I don't know if that's an 80s thing or just a this movie thing. I feel like it's both. I feel like the 80s were an era of just... General over the toppedness, and this movie is really leaning into that. I think that's fair. Maybe it's because we live in such a dark hole now, IRL. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not used to that. Of like, oh wow, people were happy once. Look at all of them just bopping around and being positive and whatnot. Is that a smile? People did that then? Weird. I'm starting to feel like I miss malls, but maybe it was just the 80s. <laughs> I don't know what it was. I'll go hang out in a mall right now. Not the one down the street for me. It's a shithole. unfortunately i think that's most malls these days that's very fair (laughs) we need one of these classic 80s malls we do we really badly do while diana's going about her montage of helping people secretly but not secretly there's a commercial playing for black gold an oil cooperative run by a dude named max lord played by pedro fucking pascal he's back baby back to back episodes with pedro He is your typical 80s TV personality business guy. He seems really over the top and kind of shady. I love it. He's one of those TV personalities who you would pick out in a second, who's just trying to sell you snake oil. Exactly. He's like, hey, life is good, but it could be better. Oh, God, I love how you did the point, too. You have to do the point. He's so good at doing a point. Like, if you had to rank people pointing, Pedro Pascal doing the point in this, 
I think is only second to Matt Berry pointing anytime ever. That's uh, that, <laughs> that's a good one. Because Matt Berry is the best pointer in the world. I'd also like to nominate uh, Timothy Oliphant with the finger guns because he does it all the time. Well, that's what Matt Berry does too. He does like kind of the finger gun, but he does it like super outstretched, like really leaning into it. It's a thing of beauty. It's almost like Buddy Christ-esque. <laughs> He's just got really good form. <laughs> it really does though. Now you have something to study so you too can be great at pointing. It's about time we talked about pointing. Diana goes and has dinner alone. It's been like 70 years and she still hasn't gotten over Stevie Boy. Which is like depressing. And she takes that weird seat in the city like where you're eating outdoors, but you're eating on the, the sidewalk also. Yeah. And then the waiter's like, just you. And then awkwardly removes the other place setting. Like, he <laughs> probably that. just left it. <laughs> she doesn't seem to mind. She's like, yeah, get this shit out of here. But he takes so long pulling that place setting. Well, in all fairness, Brian, if you're that waiter and you have Gal Gadot sitting at your table. You're going to take a second. I'm going to be the most attentive waiter you've ever had. I'd have dinner with her. I would. I will sit down right now. I will quit my job on the spot and say, hey, your meal's on me, and then just dine and dash with her. (laughs) Sit down and be like, well, who's working? This is insane. The service. This isn't where I parked my car. Taking forever with the service. Uh, Garcon, please. Diana works as a senior anthropologist at the Smithsonian Institute, specializing in the culture of ancient Mediterranean civilizations. Very specific. There she meets Barbara Ann Minerva, played by Kristen fucking Wig. She has big glasses, so you know she's nerdy and insecure and whatnot. Exactly. The FBI tasks Barbara with identifying a cache of stolen artifacts from the mall robbery. Right, because there was an antiquity store in the back room of doesn't matter. There was a jewelry store that had hidden black market items or something. The FBI is like, bring it to the Smithsonian and have some nerd figure out what it all is. (laughs) One particular item that both women take notice of is a piece of citrine with a Latin inscription talking about granting wishes. Random office guy jokingly wishes for a coffee while walking by. Then another equally random office guy is immediately like, hey, I have an extra coffee. Well, I love it because you get like that little wind burst too. Yeah, you like really set the scene very well. Hey, there's magic happening there. There's no, there's no bursts of wind inside the Smithsonian, I imagine. Unless it's air and space, right? (laughs) I mean, it's in the name, right? I don't know. I don't know anything anymore. Diana, holding the MacGuffin, makes a secret little wish to herself. Obviously, we know what it is, but she makes a secret wish to herself. Like, "Eh, if this thing was real, that'd be pretty neat, but I know it's not. No, then she gets winded. And then recognizing Barbara's loneliness, because, you know, she's pretty lonely herself, Diana goes to dinner with her, and the two become fast friends. And we know that because Diana's laughing when they cut to the dinner, and she's like, I haven't laughed like this in ages. And that's a totally normal thing that you say to the person you're sitting across from. I'm so glad I randomly picked up your documents that you spilled this morning. Oh, it was just so serendipitous. This is terrific. We're going to be friends forever. Ah, you're so warm and friendly and... Funny, and other things that real people use in in (laughs) conversation. I think she uses the word personable. Yeah, that's normal. Normal (laughs) words. After dinner, Barbara heads back to the office, but she's attacked by a real creepy creepster. Luckily, Diana shows up and knocks the dude out. So when Barbara makes it back to the office, she holds the wishy MacGuffin and wishes that she was more like Diana. And then, you know, whoosh. 
her hair gets gets tussled and you know we move we move on we sure do this movie <laughs> it, it's weird because it does move fast but also doesn't but also it very much doesn't like all the scenes that i just described very quickly that was like the first half hour of the movie oh at least the first half hour <laughs> The next morning, Barbara wakes up at work, but her hair is different now, so she's hot and can walk in heels. Is that all it was? Because it's she walks out, and the guy who didn't say hi to her the day before is just like, hey, you're Ooh, looking you look good. good. You look real good. 1984 pervy. It's normal, <laughs> right? I think right? they made it so like her glasses are lower, her hair's a little different, and then, of course, she took off the, the frumpy brown skirt, and she just pulled down the, the sweater to be like a sweater skirt. There you go. So, you know, with it now, now she's hot businessman, Maxwell Lord, the guy from the commercial earlier, he stops by the Smithsonian under the guise of making a donation. But secretly, he wants that quote unquote dream stone because he's hoping it'll help save his failing oil company. Because that's what we all want to do in terms of business. It's not so much work hard and get what you deserve. (laughs) It's go look for a magic rock. I need a mythical element, uh, a MacGuffin of sorts, (laughs) to save my business. Oh, man. It's ridiculous when you say it out loud, isn't it? (laughs) So he hits on Barbara a lot. But Diana is super suspicious of this dude. He's like, "Ah, I don't know about this guy. But Max Lord decides he's going to throw a giant gala at the Smithsonian to celebrate his large donation. And in the 80s, you could pull that shit off in a day. No problem. (laughs) I don't (laughs) know how, but We're going to have a gala tonight. What? Okay. He's making a large donation, even though he doesn't have money. This all checks out. It, uh, yep. Dave, I have an actual IMDb trivia fact. Yeah, I bet you do. Patty Jenkins and Pedro Pascal based Maxwell Lord's portrayal on stockbroker Gordon Gecko in Wall Street and Lex Luthor in Superman. Pascal also based his performance on Nicolas Cage. How? Just because it's very over the top? Yep, I think that's exactly it. Well, I love that a lot. Because after I read that fact and rewatched the movie, 100% he's doing his best Nicolas Cage. Well, Pedro Pascal, he's not even trying to restrain himself here. He's having a great time. The best. And I'm having a great time watching him have a great time. It is fantastic. I also have what I think is a cape dime to be trivia fact. How many got approved? I submitted like five. I think uh, three went through. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> Multiple injuries have been reported during the watching of this film because Pedro Pascal is so charming that it hurts. It's completely true. I'm still feeling it. Yeah, I'm a little sore. And it's probably not the COVID. (laughs) It's the Pedro. It always is the Pedro. Max returns to Black Gold headquarters, and it's apparent that his business is not doing too hot. He's also got a son, Alistar, who's played by the saddest looking child in Hollywood. Yeah, this kid, he is just pathetic, isn't he? They found an actor, a little little Lucian Perez, who just permanently has wet eyes, just giant wet <laughs> eyes. And I think that they named him Alistair because they probably asked like Pedro Pascal, hey, what name can you say funny? And he's just like, <laughs> Franklin, Henry, Alistair! That's it. I'll even, I'll even switch it up. Sometimes it'll be Alistair. Sometimes it'll be Alistair. It just depends on how I'm feeling in the moment. I don't know. I Pedro, you can't predict me. <laughs> I'm Nick Caging all over the screen. <laughs> okay, Pedro, whatever you say. <laughs> he desperately wants his son to be impressed by him. Max's business partner, 
Simon Stagg wants to pull his investment, and he just kind of shows up in the office. He's like, yeah, you're lying to your kid, just like you lied to everyone else. And he calls Max a con man and a loser. And this makes Alistair, like, really upset. He's pretty upset about this. He's, like, seeing his dad for who he is. He's like, yeah, my dad is a piece of shit. Good thing I have these wet <laughs> eyes or I'd start crying right now. Like, this kid looks so bummed out that his dad got called a loser by an old man. I mean, it's not that the whole bullpen is completely empty out in front of this office or anything like that. Like, if that's not <laughs> what's going to set off a red flag inside Alistair, I don't know what to tell you. really thought my dad was super successful until this guy was like, you're a con man. Oh, man. Back in the Smithsonian, Diana discovers that the artifact smuggling front at the mall was holding the MacGuffin for Maxwell Lord, and that's a problem. Pretty big problem, I'd say. Because Maxwell Lord has located said MacGuffin and has already started working his way back to it. Meanwhile, Barbara's getting hotter. She is, though. She, she like, really is. She went and she got a new dress, and it looks fantastic. It does. Kristen Wiig is not someone who you're just like, yeah, she looks amazing. And in this, you're like, Kristen Wiig, she looks amazing. Absolutely amazing. Her hair just keeps getting messier, and it keeps working. At the hastily assembled gala night, Barbara meets up with Maxwell, who seduces her in order to gain access to her office so he could take the Dreamstone. And Diana discovers that her wish that she made earlier all willy-nilly, and then her hair got, got the Well, her wish came true. Steve Trevor, played by Chris fucking Pine, has Scott Bakulad his way into the body of Hallmark <laughs> Channel movie star Christopher Pohala. Pohala. Is he a Hallmark po- movie star? Uh, yeah, apparently that's what he's known for, is Hallmark movies. That totally checks out, though. Like You look at this guy, you're like, he would kick ass in a Christmas movie, I think, probably, where there's like an oil baron or whatever <laughs> who's stealing a town, like the whole thing yeah. out from underneath. The grandfather? I don't know. Right. And then like the small the small town journalist falls for him and they have to Yeah. <laughs> right. She's a journalist, whole but thing. she also runs a knickknack store with her auntie. Of course. <laughs> I have another caped trivia fact. Oh goody. Patty Jenkins opted for Christopher Palaha to be the body of Chris Pine's character instead of having a Chris Rock down to earth situation play out. This was a slap in the face to Chris Rock. It's completely true. <laughs> I love that one. I saw Down to Earth three times in three days in the movies. Oh, wow. And it was all because someone would be like, you want to go to the movies? They're like, yeah, all right. And we just went to the movies. Then they just, we were like, let's see Down to Earth. I was like, again? Uh, okay. <laughs> That's a lot of Chris Rock. That is a lot. It's an okay movie. Just not three days in a row, it's not. Nothing is. Oh, I didn't know it was three days in a row. In a row! That's, yeah. Most movies, three days in a row is tough. I had that same exact experience with the movie Mission to Mars also. Never saw that one. Three days in a row. Different people saying, let's go to the movies. Okay, Mission to Mars. Like, God damn it. Maybe I should stop committing to these people before I find out what they (laughs) want to see. Sounds like uh, the late 90s and early 2000s were a busy time for you in the movie theater. Not really. I saw six movies, only two. (laughs) (laughs) So Maxwell Lord goes back to his office, and he wishes to become the embodiment of the MacGuffin and gains its power to grant wishes. And that's a ridiculous wish. It really is. He found a loophole for the wishing for more wishes thing. He did, and it's 
really, really clever the way they did it because, yeah, obviously you're going to wish for more wishes. If you right. got, no, no one in this movie does that. But normal people would do that. <laughs> Not people who sit across from their new friend saying that they're personable and I haven't laughed like this in ages. Not those type of people. Real people. Real people. But, like, I got such a big smile on my face when he's like, I want to be the fucking wishing stone. And then he just becomes it. You're like, that's neat. I like that. It is, yeah. The whole thing dissolves, and then he's like, I'm the guy now. And he can uh, grant the wishes and take whatever he wants in return. I love it. The next morning, Barbara discovers that she's really strong by tearing the door off of her fridge and then going to the gym. Could have just been a shitty fridge. Could have been. Never considered that. Well, she did consider that. That's why she went to the gym and started lifting weights and then <laughs> realized so she could do that really well, too. She started with, like, the littlest weight, though. She it's did. kind of like, can you imagine if in the movie Unbreakable, in the whole weightlifting scene with the kid who keeps piling <laughs> weight, if Bruce Willis is sitting with a little two-pounder to start? Let me just make sure I can do this one first. But it's directed by Patty Jenkins, so it takes 10 minutes. Right. Of Bruce Willis <laughs> lifting a two-pound weight. While everybody watches him. It's true. And what she's wearing, Kristen Wiig in this, not Bruce Willis in this, even though I'd pay money to see Bruce Willis wear this. It's like a leotard, <laughs> but you almost see like Kristen's wig, even though it's like a, what is that, a Merkin? A Merkin. When it's <laughs> Hell yeah, I'm a Merkin. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's the 4th of July, damn it. Oh, man. That would be weird. <laughs> like Siri, get me a Merkin. <laughs> Does Goop carry Birkins? Probably. <laughs> we could check if you really, really want to. No, no. I immediately regretted asking. The last time I looked on the Goop site, uh, on their page of like, oh, new to Goop, they had an air fryer, and then right below it was a cock ring. Yeah, that, that checks out. And it was like a sonic air cock ring or something like that. <laughs> I don't quite know how it works, but it was like one of those like Dyson air blades, but for your, your wiener. Right, right. So like you stick it in there, it's like, oh, it'll... It'll be like it's granting wishes all over your balls or something. <laughs> Can you Bluetooth pair the air fryer to the cock ring? <laughs> so bizarre. Oh, I think my popcorn chicken's done. Uh, honey, that was three times on my wiener. So I'm going to need you to go check to see if my nuggets are done. <laughs> oh, I think the cauliflower bites are ready. <laughs> I'm not taking this off. I'll let him cool down. Diana brings Steve around D.C., but first, we need an 80s trying on outfits montage. I'm so glad we get that. <laughs> oh, man. And not only do we get it, it lasts long. It really does last long. But also, I love the out that this movie gives itself because we get to see Christopher Paloha or whatever his name is. Paloha? Something like that. Oh, Christy P. I don't know. <laughs> And then he's just out of the movie because Diana's like, oh, God, it is you, Steve. I only see you. I only see you. <laughs> it's like, that's actually a good move, movie. Well done. You did it. Now well we don't have done. to think about the implications of you sleeping with this other man. This stranger that you literally just met. <laughs> At this point, it's just love and not weird. I don't know what. Body snatching. And then... <laughs> Christopher Paloha coming up. I just want to see your body snatch. <laughs> I want to know what happens to this guy while all this is happening. Do you think he's like still in there somewhere, like in the subconscious? Just like, yeah, this is all right. This is okay. 
Have you seen her? This is fine. This is, no, actually, guys, guys, it's totally cool. I'm all right with this. <laughs> I like a little cricket jumps on his shoulders. Like, do you want to recall yourself? I really don't. No, this I'm just is gonna okay. Hang out and watch for a minute. This is pretty neato. Not gonna lie. <laughs> I feel like in, in interviews, Patty Jenkins has said that it was like supposed to be an homage to like Freaky Friday and Big and like movies where there's body swapping. But that would just mean that poor Chrissy P here is in the ground somewhere. Maybe. I Who knows? I don't know. I don't know. Unless he like switched places with Steve Trevor's corpse. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just in a box somewhere overseas or whatever. <laughs> but he's so damn charming. He's probably like, oh, I've never been to Normandy. I'm going to film a Hallmark Channel movie while I'm here. This is great. It's going to involve a ski lodge. And <laughs> <laughs> There'll definitely be a race to save the, the youth center. Save the youth center from an oil tycoon. Of course. <laughs> while this journalist, who is the aunt, now runs a knickknack store with her niece. <laughs> it's not the same. It's totally different. <laughs> So now that we've gone through our 80s trying stuff on montage, Diana brings Steve around the city and he hilariously doesn't know what anything is, like escalators and breakdancing and trash cans. I love it so much. And this guy is the most horny for airplanes that's <laughs> ever existed. Like even Charles Lindbergh never got this horny airplanes. for an airplane. <laughs> Amelia Earhart, though, definitely got this horny for an airplane and actually ran away with one to a remote island. No one's ever found her or the airplane. That's, that's true. They, uh, they eloped. That's right. <laughs> I decided to keep it to three things listed that Steve Trevor doesn't know about in the future, slash past, slash whatever is happening in this moment. That's fine. That still covers a half hour of this movie. Yeah, because that one scene where she's just like, look at this. This is a thing. It takes so long. And this is where I have another actual IMDb trivia fact. Yeah, fine. According to an interview with Gal Gadot, one of the challenges of setting the film in the mid-80s in terms of the look and fashion was to stay true to the period while still avoiding it getting to camp, as she put it. As an example of this, there consequently is hardly a single case of that utterly ridiculous hairstyle called the mullet to be seen in, on any male character throughout the entire movie. I just like the way that one was worded. I do too, and that's actually a really interesting choice, and we're going to get there, tonally, later. Yes. Because this is a really interesting movie. Maxwell goes around to people, tricking them into making wishes on his behalf, starting with his business partner, Simon. And he quickly becomes a powerful and influential figure, but the Dreamstone takes a toll. His body begins to slowly die as a result of the wishes he grants. It starts with things like a bloody nose and like a bloodshot eye and, you know, stuff like that. Other signs of dying that normal people definitely get also. Mostly blood coming from parts of your head. <laughs> I've never gotten a bloody <laughs> nose and be like, am I dying right well, now? I think death is upon I'm me. actively... <laughs> decaying away, apparently, according to Wonder Woman 1984. That's how it happens. When Diana discovers that he has taken the Dreamstone, she and Steve go to his office to investigate. And there, Diana discovers a second inscription on a piece of the stone in the language of the gods, and it really freaks her out. It really does. She, like, throws it on the ground. She's like, son of a bitch. Now what? Yeah, uh, it's this This got the language of the gods on it, which means this MacGuffin is a very powerful MacGuffin. It's not what you want. Or maybe it is. I don't know yet. We'll get there, I guess. <laughs> right. Who knows? They do find out that Maxwell is headed to Egypt, thanks to some well-placed garbage. <laughs> it's a magazine that has an oil man on it, uh, presumably 
uh, trying to save a ski resort in Egypt. <laughs> There's the lady with the knickknacks and the auntie. Yeah, it's right. A whole We've thing. all been there. You know all about it now. <laughs> yes. Steve wants to fly one of these fancy fast planes of the future. So together they steal a jet. It's the most casual theft that's ever <laughs> happened on screen. You know how heroes are. They're always going around stealing giant pieces of equipment. She uses her key card to get into a hangar of sorts, and then they just go to the back. She's like, yeah, go ahead, pick one. I don't know if airplanes need keys or not. I don't know how airplanes work, apparently. <laughs> um, I have this badge because I work at the Smithsonian, so I can get into anywhere whenever I want. And there's no record of it. Is there anthropology here? I'll find out. Here's my badge. <laughs> then Diana suddenly remembers about radar. And I love how she doesn't bother explaining to Steve. She's like, ah, oh, we got plenty of time on this flight. I'll explain it then. Uh, got to make this bitch go invisible now, though. <laughs> yeah, she decides to hide the jet with some invisibility magic that she practiced on a coffee cup once. That she lost. She never found a coffee cup. That's a which good is gag. A great gag. And then there are fireworks. Happy Fourth of July. It's a pretty neat scene, but I had like a lot of anxious feelings watching this because you're seeing all the, the fireworks they're flying through and it is so gorgeous the way they shot this. Yeah, yeah. But the whole time going like, yes, you're an invisible jet, but there are pyrotechnics being fired up in your general direction. And I do not know if an airplane could withstand some sort of explosion like that. I do not know. Oh, it can if Steve Trevor's flying it. But he's just sitting there just enjoying the moment. Yeah, he is. I don't know. He's a very good pilot. He he looks calm on the outside, but on the inside, he's like, I'm going to avoid all these explosions in the sky. It's a great scene. It is. And then after they're, they're past the fireworks, Diana confides that she's like, I don't know how you fly. And Steve's like, oh, it's super easy. And that's the scene. That is the scene. He says it's like, it's pretty much just wind and lift, and you figure out where to put it all. Okay. All right. Good talk. That's all it takes, huh? <laughs> Okay. That night, Barbara has another run-in with the drunken creepy creepster, and she kicks his ass. She, like, beats the hell out of this guy, though. She really does. And, and there's this homeless guy that earlier in the movie she gave food to, and he's like, what'd you do? And she's like, mind your business. You know, she's, she's getting mean. She's getting mean. I'm glad that they established it. The wishes take a toll, and it turns out her toll is her personability. Right, it's gone. She's not going to be making <laughs> random strangers laugh across the table super anymore. Super personable anymore. In Egypt, Max Lord meets up with Amir Saeed bin Abid. So close. <laughs> Amir Saeed bin Abidus. Abidus? Nailed it. Second yeah. time. Uh, he's the king of crude, according to that one magazine. So using his powers, Max grants Amir Abidus's wish for his ancestral lands to be returned to his ownership. Which, you know, sounds like an impossible thing, but he's just like, done. And in return, I want all of your oil. And... A 40-foot-tall wall rises from the sand, dividing the ancestral lands from the people of Egypt. And then he finds out that uh, the emir has already sold the lands to the Saudis, so he can't get his oil. Oops. It's a pretty big oopsie-daisy, but it's pretty neat to see how fast the wishes work. Yeah. And then Max is like, you know what? I'll take your security team instead. And now oh, you're which defenseless. is so good, because he's like, yeah, those people out there, that, that you just pissed them off pretty badly. They're probably going to come to want to kill you. So, defense team, let's go. <laughs> You're with me now, and this guy's going to have to deal with all the people that he just took away their access to clean water. Dick move. It is a dick move. About that time, Diana and Steve arrive in Egypt. 
triggering a whole chase scene with giant armored vehicles and Diana on foot because she's Wonder Woman. I feel like we needed to say that. I don't know why. I feel like, you know what? You're right. It has been most of the movie. We have not mentioned that she is Wonder Woman. Yeah, she's her. She's the titular character. You know, she is 1984. Oh, and God. We'll get there. <laughs> we, we will. I got like half chub just listening to you hum that. <laughs> There's a whole fight chase scene. Diana gets shot, and that's not a thing that usually happens. So, you know, we're all concerned about her. Right, and Steve kicks ass wearing a white t-shirt. So that's something else that <laughs> you know, happens. putting another man's body in danger. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so if Steve is in Christopher Palaha's body, what if like he had a bad knee from like a ski accident back in the day trying to save a resort town? That's a, that's a great question. Does now Steve have this bum knee? I would assume. And maybe that's why he was... Put into this body because this guy has great knees. He's got great knees. Oh, that's fair. All right. That checks you can out ask, now. You can ask that, that niece in the, the knickknack <laughs> store I lady. Could. <laughs> Max ends up getting away because Diana has to save some kids who are playing in the street. And does she save them? Because she has to like tackle them out of the way of traffic, but then yes. she also like tumbles with them at like a really high speed. She so does. So these kids definitely got a little fucked up. Oh, for sure. They got they got a little scratched up. And then she was like, hey, remember, I don't exist. You kids have fun. Get out of the street. Okay, strange lady who looks like Wonder Woman. It was weird that I just got tackled by a superhero and then told that she's not real. Maybe I won't play in the street anymore. While there's a large high-speed chase happening coming directly <laughs> toward me in a place that does not have a lot of mountains or hills, so very visible. It's a bizarre time we live in in 1984. Max manages to gain access to over half the world's oil supply, leaving chaos and destruction in his wake as he grants wishes and they trigger instability and conflict. Straight up chaos is what it triggers. Barbara, Diana, and Steve investigate the Dreamstone's powers further, and they discover that it was created by the Calafria Ero, the god of treachery and mischief who was absolutely not at all Loki. Totally not Loki. They discover that the stone grants a user their wish, but it exacts a toll, which, you know, we've been saying for a while. It's pretty obvious. The only way to reverse the exchange is by renouncing the wish or destroying the stone itself. But the stone's already been destroyed. But uh, wait, Max said, you're looking at it. I'm the stone. That's right. I'm the stone now. (laughs) About this time, Steve realizes that his existence is coming at the cost of Diana's power. That's some deep shit right there, though. I like that quite a bit. Both Diana and Barbara are both unwilling to renounce their wishes, so they're going to go and try to find an alternative solution. But the way that Diana puts it is heartbreaking. Absolutely. Because she's been giving and giving and giving. She's a superhero. It's Wonder Fucking Woman. And she says, can't I just have this one thing? I just want the one thing. And she got it. And she's willing to take this punishment for it and I love that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big sacrifice, but it's it's for the one thing that she really wants. The only thing she wants. Diana shows Steve the story of Asteria and her golden armor and how she stayed behind and sacrificed herself to save the rest of her people. <laughs> That's also true. <laughs> Maxwell, meanwhile, goes to the White House. 
And he grants the president, played, of course, by Stuart Milligan, he grants the president's wish for more nuclear missiles, which threatens to start a nuclear war with the Soviet Union. And in return, he takes the president's power and influence, authority, and respect. I guess that you could just do that. I, I mean, it's intangible things, but he's just taking it and getting yeah. it. He's and like, now hey, the president's calling him sir. I'm a magical rock man, and I will take what I want to take. That's right, Mr. President. I'm your wish daddy. I have an actual IMD trivia fact. All right. Stuart Milligan is credited simply as President of the United States, and the president's name is never spoken in the film. But the real president in 1984 was Ronald Reagan. The character bears a passing resemblance to Reagan, but does not employ any of Reagan's trademark catchphrases or mannerisms. Milligan previously played presidential character Richard Nixon in Doctor Who. And cue my impression of Ronald Reagan saying, I'm not a crook. You nailed it. Good job. That's, uh, that's, that's the bit, right? The yep, thing that I, that I did sure. for a long time. Him. It was so good. When Max learns that the U.S. satellite broadcast system can transmit signals globally and that the particles touch people, he's like, oh, I'm going to use this to grant wishes to the entire world. I guess that works. I mean, I feel like in theory, he's like, he's trying to do a good thing, but also really he's doing it because he's dying. He's like, I got to replace my organs and stuff. That's a direct quote. (laughs) (laughs) Shouldn't be a direct quote, but it's a direct quote. But it is. Diana and Steve show up at the White House to stop Max. And then Barbara shows up at the White House to stop Diana and Steve from stopping Max. And she joins forces with Max. She's like, you're not going to hurt him because if you hurt him, I'm going to lose my powers. And I like my powers a whole lot. This White House fight scene is pretty excellent. It is so cool. The big old White House fight scene. I'm a big fan of this because it's one of those. We just watched a action sequence take place out in the open. Yeah. And now you just really closed it in. Super confined. And what I really ah, like about man. this is the entire time they're fighting these people who are like under the spell of Maxwell. So Diana knows they're innocent people and she's basically saving all of them while they're trying to fight her. And it's it's so cool. Oh, it's terrific. And she even tells Steve, she's like, no, no, don't kill. They don't know. They're right. innocent. Right. I love it. I love Wonder Woman so damn much. Barbara is losing her humanity in exchange for her power and threatens to destroy Diana if she interferes with Max's plans. And Diana is looking pretty beat up. Oh, she does not look good, and that's a weird thing to say about Gal Gadot. But here's the thing. She looks so good. It's wild. Like, they're trying to, they're trying to show, like, this beat-up Gal Gadot, and she's like, look at, look at how awful she looks. I'm like, this is the best she's looked the entire movie. It sort of is, <laughs> but it's sort of not also, because... It's like Gal Gadot on her worst day is a nine. Oh, my God. I don't know. Maybe I've got something for... But basically, them showing <laughs> Gal Gadot having a rough time and losing her powers just means her makeup is smearing. And I don't know. That just did it for me. That's all it takes sometimes, I guess. <laughs> She's not super anymore. Do you see how her mascara is running? That's why Brian makes all the ladies cry? Is that it? Ooh, I don't I don't like that. That's not a good oh. joke. <laughs> uh, quick question. Girl, I'm dating. My name is Brian Betts. Do you want to go to a punk show? I have a good feeling about the eye makeup situation that's going to happen there. <laughs> uh, honestly, hottest person in this movie is Alistair with his those giant wet eyes. <laughs> <laughs> that kid that's couldn't keep mascara right. on to save his life. 
But it's waterproof. It's not Alistair proof. Oh. That's where Maybelline went wrong. <laughs> Actually, all of the makeup that Gal Gadot wears in this movie is Revlon. So Is that a fact? That is a fact. <laughs> oh man. All right. You know. I couldn't tell if that was like a bit. You're just like, no, no, no. I'm a big Revlon guy. I wish I it was a bit, but no, it's that's an actual IMDb trivia fact. <laughs> oh, jeez, you're recalling them now? It's not even written. <laughs> it's not even written. You're right. Oh, no. Is this what COVID does? It just gives me really good recall to like IMDb trivia facts? In all fairness, you did lose your taste. <laughs> oh. So the world is in shambles. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Turns out that everybody getting exactly what they want isn't such a good thing after all. It's not, but it's crazy to see the world, and we see it as a shambles, too, because you have this one old guy who is just in the middle of the apartment, and the apartment's Watergate, which is fantastic. Yes. Oh, God, that's so good. But he's like, a guy came up to me, I said, I wish I had a farm, and then I just have cows now. I didn't mean here. (laughs) This is not where I wanted my farm. But everybody is getting their wishes, and Max is abusing everybody's wishes, by doing like these verbal acrobatics like when he was trying to go to the white house he gets into the cab and he's like oh don't you wish that all the traffic would just part like the red sea and he's holding the guy's shoulder he's like of course i wish that and then the guy gets his wish because he agreed with him and oh god i i love the way max phrases these wishes and sometimes i feel like the people who are getting granted the wishes don't realize that they're wishing for these things and it's going to raise questions for me later It raises questions for me on the helicopter with Kristen Wiig, and we're going to get there really, really soon. But I love how he walks out into the bullpen of Black Gold Cooperative, whatever it is, and he goes up to the guy, and he's like, don't you wish I had a meeting at the White House or whatever? He's like, wait, I already got your wish, didn't I? Damn it! Yeah, yeah. And the guy says, yeah, I wish for a Porsche. And he's like, why the fuck is everyone wishing for Porsches? (laughs) Which is a weird on-running gag in this, because there's also like a a news report about everyone's just racing Porsches. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I love Max Lord. I love him so much. Steve convinces Diana to let him go and renounce (sighs) her wish. Oh, God, it's hard. And it is a heartbreaking scene that is only amplified by how fucking well shot it is. It's so well shot. It's just these two kind of leaning against a pillar in a close-up of this chaotic world. And Steve is the one who says, out of nowhere, Diana, I lived a really great life. You don't need to say goodbye. I'm already gone. Yeah. And then they do the kiss. Oh, God, man. Yeah. And she breaks away and comes around the corner and they keep the shot. And then she like runs through the street and they keep... And on her and all the stuff is happening behind her. It's it's so well done. It's so well done because in the one or she's even like, I renounce my wish. And then she starts healing in front of us and yes. sprinting. You're like, that is Magic. so beautiful and brutal. That is the way you do that. Yeah. And then to cut from that shot directly to like that classic Wonder Woman running down the street. Just Patty fucking Jenkins. Oh, just crushing it. Patty fucking Jenkins made choices in this movie. Yes. And a lot of them are really, really good. I agree. And a lot of them, meh. But a lot of them are really, really good. You know, there were a lot of choices to make in the two and a half hours. That's right. (laughs) One of them was making it two and a half hours. Choices. And that falls under the meh. (laughs) So Diana flies home. Yes, flies. She learned how to fly. She launches herself into the air by lassoing an airplane. Now she's airborne. Then she just says in her head, yeah, it's just about wind and lift, and then she's feel flying the wind now. and the lift, and just you know, 
do the thing. Like Done. he said. Perfect. She goes back home. She dons the legendary golden armor of Asteria and heads to the broadcast station. Max uses some of his wish fulfillments to help Barbara reach her new dream of becoming, quote, an apex predator. But she already got a wish. How does she double wish? Well, she it's not really her wish so much as it's Max using the effects of other people's wishes to give her more things. Okay. That was the only thing I questioned in this movie. Yeah. Which is bizarre for me to only question that. But still. <laughs> um, that is not the only thing I questioned in this movie. We'll get there. That's fair also. When Diana arrives, she and Barbara do the battle. Barbara has been transformed into like a cat-like being of pure rage. She is Cheetah. I have what is probably a caped IMDb trivia fact. <laughs> probably. Kristen Wiig's character was originally supposed to be Meowth, not Cheetah. Patty Jenkins changed the character after everyone got annoyed that she kept throwing coins at people on set to stay in character. Kristen Wiig was upset that she had to learn dialogue for the film since she memorized all of her Meowth lines in a single setting. It's good for her to memorize all the Meowth lines. Meowth! Nailed it! You could have played the Meowth role in this movie. Could have. I probably would have thrown fewer coins at people, too. Oh, she had to, though. She's, uh, she's method, yeah. I think. Interesting fact about Meowth. In the Pokemon TV show, he's the only one who can talk regular-like. He does, but he speaks like he's like a, a New Yorker the whole time, which is bizarre. <laughs> where did he get that accent from? Uh, where, I don't know. And Team Rocket doesn't question. No one questions, like, why is that thing talking? And why does this thing keep repeating Pika Pika Pikachu? Right. But he's like giving me sentences. I could build a relationship with this little yellow electric mouse a fuck ton easier if it would just speak real <laughs> words. Sometimes the villains get the best lines. Or any lines at all. Uh, Pika! That's a line, right? It's not. It's nothing. No, it's no, an R2-D2. That's what it is. <laughs> R2 gets some great lines. <laughs> it you does. can't so convince BBA me otherwise. With all the, the whirring and Ooh. beeping and whatever. <laughs> so Barbara and Diana, they fight for a while until Diana eventually electrocutes her because she won't renounce her, her wish. She begs for it. And she's like, well, I'm sorry. This is happening. I have so many questions about how they, they fight by like swinging around all these electrical wires and the broadcast station never loses electricity. <laughs> it's probably got a generator. I don't know, Brian. I mean, they tear down, like, every electrical wire. Oh, it's wire. every wire. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Maybe he wished that electricity doesn't work that way. I don't know. <laughs> you know, you could really work around anything with that, can't you? You really could. You know what? He wished for unlimited electricity. God. It's off screen, Brian. Jesus. Get off your fucking high horse. <laughs> or, he, you know, he made somebody else wish for it. Like, don't you wish? I get it, Brian. You're a Marvel boy. You need the logic. Diana confronts Maxwell in his broadcast studio and has a whole whirlwind of wishes happening. I don't know why the, any of this is happening the way it's happening, but here we are. Well, he's granting wishes to everyone around the world where he's just talking at a camera saying like, oh, yeah, I, your wish is granted too. Uh, yours, I hear you. Yours, granted. Yours, granted. You get a car and you get a car. I don't understand how he's hearing them, but also... What is this vortex that's, like, spinning around this? He's, like, in the middle of a hurricane in this tiny room. I have no idea. Choices. But seeing the real world ramifications of these wishes, how you have, like, that weird Irish couple or whatever they are, how the wife is just like, I wish all you Irish fucks would 
get deported back to where he came from. It's like, well, I wish she would drop dead. And, and she then she drops does. dead. And then the cops come and raid the place. And the guy's like hiding under a table. <laughs> and the one uh, Chinese restaurant waitress is just like, I wish I were famous. Kind of just like all bullshit. And like, there's no way. And then immediately real. people are banging on the window. Like, it's you. It's that person that wished they were famous. But I love how we get to see like random ass people in the world. They're like, I wish I had a million dollars. Then yeah. of course, see world leaders. I wish I had nukes. Oh God, I wish I had a gigantic penis. I wish I had nukes. <laughs> yeah, we'll make that sex tape disappear. <laughs> and I wish I had nukes. <laughs> it keeps going back. Actual line from the movie about the sex tape. Was it really? Yeah, it was when he was interviewing the other people at his office. I don't even remember it. Yeah, uh, I think that's, it was like the. Um, that's the, the, very good. The televangelist, I think. But sex tapes in the 80s weren't even necessarily a bad thing. Like, you had to physically have the tape. That's true. It's kind of like Tom Green's, I can't believe this is coming up, Tom Green's bit from his stand-up special about teachers sending uh, nude pictures to students. (laughs) And how that, in the age of cell phones, it's easy to do, obviously, now. But back in the day when you had, like, film, he's like, oh, yeah, you took a picture of yourself, took a shot of Jägermeister, went down to the post office, bought stamps. (laughs) Like, you had so much time in order to not do that. Right. Right. There were plenty of opportunities to stop what you were doing. Got to be a real horny teacher to send nude pictures to kids back then. Back in the 80s. Like, real horny. (laughs) Everything in this scene is flying around, and Pedro Pascal is chewing on all of it. He loves it. It tastes delicious. Diana uses her lasso of truth to hijack the airwaves somehow and speaks <laughs> to the entire world. He's standing in the middle of the broadcast thing. Yep. I don't know what this is. And he's just like, oh, the wishes, they're delicious. Thank you so much. <laughs> and she starts like talking. Like in a, like a normal like room volume. Like you like talk to somebody who's sitting right next to you. But it is a beautifully heavy-handed monologue. Oh, yeah, it is. And it lands so perfectly about how the world is a beautiful place, but not everything could be perfect. Right. And I loved it so, so much. And she's like, you just need to renounce your wishes. And Max Lord's is like, fuck no. And she's like, I wasn't talking to you. And she's got them all lassoed by the leg. And then you go, what just happened? Yeah. Oh, okay. Clearly. Maxwell Lord with the lassoed leg is now a conduit to Diana speaking to everyone? I guess so. I don't know. It's a very interesting situation. I don't quite know how it works, but... But it's beautiful. It's beautiful. She tells everyone to renounce their wishes. And after all, nothing good is born from lies. It's very, very true. Max starts all of a sudden worrying about his son. Well, she, because we have established that with the lasso of truth, she can show somebody something that actually happens. Oh, that's a good point. When she shows right, Steve right. Trevor the heavy-handed one person sacrificing for blah, blah, blah. Fair. So he sees a vision of his son, Alistair, wandering the streets as chaos is ensuing, and he's like, oh, uh, that's not good. My son is just kind of out there in the world while there's <laughs> nukes flying. And he's like, all right, yep, the jig is up. And Max renounces his wish. Did the son ever get his wish? Because this, like, Max was really careful around his son. Because the yeah. son's like, "Oh, I wish for," and, the son, and Max like pushed him. I was like, "No, no, no, no! Don't wish Don't your touch wish. daddy and wish." And then the son <laughs> awkwardly puts his hand on daddy's leg and says, "I wish for your greatness." And it's like the kid doesn't seem all that great. He still seems depressed as hell. Well, it wasn't the kid's greatness. He was wishing for his father's greatness, and then Max got pretty great. 
okay, I thought this was going to be like in an arms of the angels type situation here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go adopt a dog. What is like that all like? of a sudden Alistair turns into a dog and loses an eye and is malnourished. <laughs> I don't know how Sarah McLaughlin treats dogs. I have no clue. <laughs> I like this. <laughs> the narrative is now that Sarah McLaughlin is the one mistreating the dogs. Right. She's mistreating the dogs in order to get the attention to get the, the rescue company to save the ski resort. Right. Get so these dogs away from me. grandmother can keep knitting. Or I'll knick-knacks. continue to abuse them. She's the oil baron the whole time. <laughs> I think. So, like, the entire world all at once renounces their wishes. Which is bullshit. It's absolutely bullshit. <laughs> You're telling me there's not one person in the entire world who's like, no, nah, I'm keeping my wish. That should have been, like, the ending of it. It's just some random-ass guy Scrooge McDucking into a pile of money. Like, I have so many questions. There were so many people that, that were tricked into making wishes. How did they know to renounce their wish? They didn't know that at what all. About, what about the lady who literally died before the monologue? How did she come back to life and know we, to renounce her wish? We do not wish? see her coming back. We do not. Because we see everyone's renouncing wishes, and you see, like, the guy contemplating renouncing the wish, and I think it cuts away before he does, which is, like, I think, the I think most... he does say it. Does Well, we don't get to see her come back to life. That's true. I don't true. think. But so for well, all I know, he's like, I renounce it. But that means she can't renounce her wish, which means all of the Irish people are still getting still rounded getting, up. Exactly. So, all right. <laughs> so, so many there's questions. a lot of questions. I'm not going to call them plot holes, but there are a lot well. of questions. <laughs> <laughs> but the big one is Max renouncing his wish and returning home to reunite with his son and completely averting global thermonuclear war. Everyone just starts launching nukes, just all willy-nilly, as you would expect for all the nukes that were wished for. Right. I mean, you're not going to wish for all those nukes and then not use them. That's a good point. I guess. (laughs) I wouldn't know from experience, but yeah, you're probably right. Oh, all of a sudden, a hundred brand new nukes showed up right outside my door. I think I'm going to take counteractive measures. Where do you think we're going to store these things? Just fire them. We don't have the space. (laughs) Some time passes. And now, now it's winter time, you know, the time of Hallmark movies. <laughs> right. And Diana comes across the man whose body Steve was inhabiting, and they have just a real awkward interaction. It is so awkward when you think about it, because he's being charming as hell. And yes. he's not hitting on her, which I love. I'm a big fan of that. She says, you look nice in that outfit. I really like yeah, it. I like and that it's outfit. the same outfit that Steve tried on that she hated earlier. And he goes, you know what? That just made my day. I thought it was the one that she tried to dress Steven, and he was like, no. Nah. Yeah, and he said, I'm not going to wear this. It was that one. You're right. Yeah. He's like, you just made my day. I needed that. Happy holidays. Thank you. I'll be seeing you around. Like, nice and casual. Super cash. But he has no clue that that body has gotten with Gal Gadot. He has no idea. Yeah. See, that's it's a crying shame. It's kind of like a strange Ben Stiller severance scenario here. It's like, yeah, you don't know. You have no clue what happened when you got body snatched. He has no idea. Like, your other life was so much better, and you have no idea. Or maybe it wasn't. I don't know. I want to see his story now. But at the same time, it's this is like a What Woman Want Mel Gibson thing, too. I don't know how that movie works, but I'm presuming that Gal Gadot is like, seeing you naked. I don't know how that connects to what women want, but I'm I here have no for clue it. what that movie's about. It just felt right. Okay. Yeah. Is that how it works? <laughs> no, it definitely hears people's 
he's he hears people's thoughts, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's Women's not thoughts. creepy as hell for Mel Gibson to ever hear. <laughs> the worst person to have access to that kind of information. You think what about Jews? I'm going after you in this one. <laughs> oh, I mean, you are so mean. <laughs> Get over here, sugar tits. <laughs> It's so wrong. Gross, Mel Gibson. Gross. Yep, horribly anti-Semitic. And uh, yeah, so like that—that's <laughs> that's almost the end of the movie. It is almost the end of the movie. But we get a mid-credits scene. We do, and I want to go on record saying that if you don't like this mid-credits scene, you are no friend of mine. You have no soul. This is one of my favorites of all time. Asteria is revealed to be alive and living among humanity in secret. And she's Linda fucking Carter. It is so wonderful because it's just a cloaked figure walking down right. a snowy street and a big pole falls and she catches it. And you see like the arm bracelet there and you're like, oh, cool. Good job, Wonder Woman. And you did it. And it is, but it's not. But it's not. Oh, it's That's wonderful. so well done. And she says, I've been doing this a long time. And she literally winks at the camera. As she should. Yes. There's a one of my favorite lines from the entire movie is in this scene. When the woman that she saves the baby, she saves a baby from getting crushed by this pole. Sure. The, the woman is like, what's your name? She's like, Asteria. And the woman's like, that's a beautiful name. And she says, and I quote, it's from my culture. I love that so much. That is a great line right there. It really is. Man, that's how people talk. <laughs> that's how everyone talks. I've read Jeff John's comics before. This is how everyone talks. Thanks. It's from my culture. <laughs> and what culture is that? <laughs> and then she slaps him and says, in Dwight Schrute voice, we'll be asking the questions. <laughs> And that is Wonder Woman 1984 from 2020, directed by Patty fucking Jenkins. Patty, yeah, get a little, little extra juice on that fucking. You got to lean in because she does crush this movie. Absolutely. Again, I really like this movie. It is so enjoyable. If it was like a half an hour shorter, it would probably be perfect. It definitely could be a half hour shorter, but it's a crazy movie because it's a period movie that takes place in a period that you wouldn't expect one of these movies to take place in. Right. Especially because there's already an established past for this character in the origin story and an established future in the, the team-ups that have already come out. So this is just a story. Yeah. Which is terrific. It's phenomenal. And it's told in the 80s and that is such a sham the way they pulled it off because <laughs> You introduce this movie as all bright colors, silly characters, over the top. It's the 80s. But this movie is so dark. It really is. It's bleak in, in the way that it like shows how everybody getting their wish granted is the downfall of, of humanity. It is. But it also takes place in the shadow of the Cold War still. Yeah. And the movie doesn't want to stop reminding you that either. This is a weird magic trick this movie pulls off because this is also as close to a Marvel movie as DC is going to get. That's kind of true, yeah. Like, tonally, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Think about Thor Ragnarok. It okay. is so much fun. Yeah. But Thor is such a broken character by the end of that that you kind of use the aesthetic tone that you're seeing to mask what's actually going on within these characters. Right. Right. I'd argue that Shazam is also the same kind of... That Shazam is super dark. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I think I think I think you're right. I think this movie and Shazam are probably the two closest to the Marvel tone without actually approaching it. And right. it's a direction I I sincerely wish that the DC EU or whatever we're going to call it today <laughs> would lean a little more into of let's have fun, but it's DC. Right. We can still be dark without it being just nonstop depressing. What do you think the critics thought of this thing? Because, again, this is a weird movie for when it came out. Yeah, I'm not sure. I really only know what the fan reaction was to it, and that wasn't great. Rotten Tomatoes will tell you that you're wrong. Really? Yeah, because audience score is 73%. Okay. But critically, hit me. 1 to 100. 78. 58. Yeah, okay. Roger Ebert did not see this because no one wished that he would come back. <laughs> Could you imagine he comes back and just catches COVID and dies again? That would be the worst thing ever. And just because you have COVID, don't put that on other people, Brian. <laughs> I think if I'm going to put it on anyone, I'll put it on a dead guy. That's probably the right move. And if you've been listening to this, mo- uh, this episode without a mask on, I'm so sorry for what Brian's doing to you. Oh, yeah, my bad. It's the particles. You're going to catch it. It's just like they're touching you. So if you ask for a wish right now, your wish is granted. <laughs> as long as your wish is to get COVID. <laughs> You're doing great then. David Sims from the Atlantic did see this, though. He said it's a refreshingly silly and airy adventure focused on the emotions of one character, Wonder Woman, and a charming end to a tiring year of cinema. Was it? Tiring in, in what way? In that there wasn't any? <laughs> there was almost none, but I mean, things just kept getting pushed off and off and off. And yeah, like you never knew when you were going to see a new movie, which was so weird. The things that did get released, though, were things that the studios were willing to take a gamble on. Like, hey, right. maybe people are ready to go see movies. Maybe we put out New Mutants. Picked a whole bouquet of Oopsie Daisy for that one. <laughs> you know, maybe we release Tenet and and. Even though it's hope for the best pandemic, and people will go to the theaters and see it, they won't. They won't. They will not. Still haven't seen that movie. Me neither. And people say I would love it. I'm like, why? Like it's Christopher Nolan. I was like, yeah, that's probably all I need. Actually, <laughs> that works. That might actually be enough. Leonard Mullen from HotTubTimeMachine.com. He <laughs> says, overall, I felt disconnected from the movie, except for moments that focused on human scale situations. It struggles to be relevant and serious, but in a superficial, cartoony way. It drones on for two and a half hours, but it hasn't got a lot to say. That's an interesting take. I wouldn't say that it doesn't have a lot to say. I would say it drones on for two and a half hours. I would 100% agree with that. But I don't think it's a droning that's that's messageless. I agree. And the last one I have is from Peter Travers, ABC News. He says, you'd have to be a Grinch to hate on a blockbuster sequel that's so puppy eager to please. But despite the femme power of star Gal Gadot and director Patty Jenkins, all the CGI huffing and puffing over two and a half hours deflates momentum and audience endurance. Yeah, it's long. It is long, but I'll also say, I watched this bad boy at home. I got to pause and go to the bathroom anytime I wanted, which is a treat. That's true. You know, you had the added benefit of like, people aren't in the theater for this. Make it five hours long. Like Zack Snyder's Justice League. (laughs) Uh, Again, this came out at a weird time. You met me at a very strange time in my life. Exactly. And speaking of strange people, our friends on Letterboxd. Oh, goody. They did not like this movie. See, that's where I was getting the, the idea from, that people didn't like this. From December 25th, 2020, Kristen Wiig saw Cats and said, My turn. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's good. From December 23rd, 2020. I had to go and get attached to Steve Trevor again, only for him to follow the exact same arc he had in the first film and be <laughs> ripped away from me just the same. I hate it here. <laughs> it's very true. His arc was exactly the same. It was, and I totally get it. Yeah. From December 26, 2020. Honestly, I could have just watched two and a half hours of Chris Pine discovering the 80s, and it would have been better than this film. <laughs> um, Chris Pine discovering the 80s is delightful, so saying it would be better than this film is, yeah, it'd be better than most films. It would be. It's like, I like this movie, but yeah, I would watch the hell out of that movie. <laughs> He's so charming. From December 28th, 2020, well, shit, Diana. <laughs> That's what Steve says in the plane. It's such a good line. When he finds out about radar. <laughs> I love that line so damn much. <laughs> we'll get there. Maybe. I don't know if I'll remember it in a few minutes. But still. <laughs> the last one I have is, again, December 25th, 2020. Everyone reviewed this thing in like the span of three days. I don't think anyone's watched it since. <laughs> it's one of those like scripts. It's very good whenever they do that. Oh, those are fun. Barbara Minerva. I used to be a nerd who nobody liked, but now I'm hot and bulletproof and can pull off Robert Smith levels of eyeliner. <laughs> Maxwell Lord. But don't you want more? Barb Minerva. I want to be a cat. <laughs> and on that bombshell, let's give this thing a super stub score. We start out with story and motivation. That's kind of weird for this one, because... It's Wonder Woman 1984, but what's the story? Because she's trying to stop a wishing stone. Yeah, the story is there's a MacGuffin on the loose, and we gotta not have that. It's kind of a lame story, but it's kind of a fun and clever one at the same time. Yeah. I kind of only want to go like 0.5, a little bit dirty 0.5. Yeah, I think that's fair, because it does have a message. It there is does, but... I don't need a message in my movies. I just really, really enjoyed a character turning himself into a wishing stone. <laughs> That's clever enough to to warrant it a 0.25 It bump. is. It's like the right amount of goofy. That's why. Yeah. For a comic book movie. It's, it's clever. the right amount. It's the clever way to do wishing for more wishes. And I give all the credit in the world for that decision. 0.5. Hero. Wonder fucking woman. Wonder fucking woman. She's great. She saves the day. She's got to sacrifice quite a bit. She sacrifices a whole lot, and she saves the day with her words, not with her fists. Which is pretty great, but she sacrifices her powers in order to get the one thing that she's always wanted, and then she has right. to sacrifice the one thing that she's always wanted to save the world. Yeah. Not even so much to get her powers back, but just to be able to save the world. Yeah. That's a- One. Wow. Easy one. That's a big sack. Yeah, one. 100% of the way. Villains. Max fucking Lord. Pedro Pascal, absolutely crushing it. Chewing on every piece of scenery he can possibly get his hands on. Delightful. Kristen Wiig is great in this. Until she's, she's not at the end. Right. But uh, yeah, it still Until works. she becomes a CGI monster. And then, I mean, that's how you do your third act in a comic book movie. That's just how it is. I like this movie. I'm giving it a one. I agree. One. Parents. Nothing. Nothing at all. Big fat zero. <laughs> Female characters. Probably uh, two. Yeah, I would, I would say. <laughs> I think it's the safe way about this one. Uh, Wonder Woman. She once again carries the movie, as she should. It's her movie. But 
I think Kristen Wiig is fantastic in this. Yeah. Are there any other women? You get kind of the opening, but the opening you have all of all of the Amazonians, uh, Hippolyta and Antiope, and then you have Linda Carter at the end. You do. It, um, Kristen Wiig goes on a journey, and I like that quite a bit as well. Um, two done. Two because I like it. <laughs> I feel like we have to have that disclaimer sometimes. <laughs> Setting. It's Washington D.C. and it looks really good. It's 1984 and it looks really good. The mall at the beginning, I think, is just the perfect tone setter for this. Yes. Um, Themyscira looks pretty terrific as well. Let's not forget that. Right. But I think that using iconic Washington architecture was a great choice. Yeah, you have the reflection pool. You have the Washington Monument. You have the White House. Right. But you also have the Watergate Apartments. Yeah. Which is such a touch of genius to include those. It's such a good little, like, hey, you know. This eh? has history. But also, it looks really interesting. Yeah. I'm going to go one. One it is. Style and tone. Again, one for all the reasons listed before. Yep. I want to punish it for pacing, but I won't. One. I want to punish it for the Asteria costume, but <laughs> it looks so corny, but it also feels toyetic. Yeah. Yeah. And- that is very appropriate for something for the 1980s, that it had to be toyetic for it to even be on film. That's true. Yeah, There are so many 80s tropes worked into this movie and done so well that you almost don't notice them. It's very good. One for style and tone. Music. Hans fucking Zimmer. Hans fucking Zimmer. I honestly don't think it's as good as the first one. I don't either, but I like that he's doing different little samples of his theme. Yes. And having fun with it. And I think the music's super appropriate still, but why yeah. wouldn't it be? It's Hans fucking Zimmer. Right. I mean, the man is something of a professional. So we'll only give him a one here. <laughs> All right. Just a one for Hansi. I feel like he's starting to get that bump. He's getting real close. An auto bump. The auto one. Of one. Usually John Williams and Danny Elfman are the only two who get it, but Hansi's getting Hans Zimmer close. is definitely part of the conversation. Let's talk about one-liners. Yeah, I got nothing. Oh, shit, Diana, or whatever he said was very good. Life is good, but it can't be great. I love that a lot, but... The point is part of it. Oh, it is 0.25 just for that. 0.25 just for that. It's from my culture. That's <laughs> so good. The dumbest uh, line in any movie ever. I'm such a big fan there. of it. <laughs> but I can't punish it because I loved it. Yeah, no, it made me smile. <laughs> so, yeah, it's from my culture. Point two five for one-liners. Impact on the genre. I don't know. It's really hard to say. If this were impact on the industry, I would say it's astronomical. Agreed. Because it proved that you can do a home release for a major motion picture. A simultaneous theatrical and home release. And the movie still made $166 million in theaters. I have no idea how. Nor do I. And I don't know how you can possibly way box office numbers for subscription-based. We can ask Scarlett Johansson, because she sued Disney's ass for that. She sure did. I don't know how any of that works. It's not like you have a Nielsen ratings for streaming films or something, how you generate new subscriptions based on one single film. I don't know. According to Nielsen, actually, the film totaled 2.25 billion minutes spent by HBO Max users over the first three days of release. So that's the equivalent of 14.9 million complete plays of the movie, which is huge. 
So just doing a quick math here on the calculator. 14.9 complete plays of the movie times how much is the movie ticket today? 12 bucks? 178.8 million. Wow. And that's complete plays. And you know that there's people who are just like, this is bullshit. I'm turning right, it off. Right. That's complete plays. And that's in the first three days. That is a massive opening. Yeah. It was later uh, reported that it was watched in 3.2 million households in the first week. So it's... um That's enormous. It, it did its job. That would be record setting because obviously you're not going to report not complete plays. Right. But Jesus, we're not talking about industry. We're talking about genre. It's a DC film. Uh, I'm sure somewhere along the line, Ezra Miller fucked it up. <laughs> so yeah. let's just go with uh, 0.25 because I think there's another coming. There's but supposed to be a third one and an Amazonian spinoff. So 0.5. Safe. 0.5. Call it right in the middle. <laughs> She's a safer draw than Ezra Miller. Everyone is, though. Let's face it. <laughs> Warner Brothers did announce that HBO Max saw total viewing hours of the film's first day more than triple. In comparison to a typical day. so I love hearing that. That makes me feel all warm and fuzzy that cinema won't die even when you can't put it on the big screen. That is a nice warm feeling. That is going to give Wonder Woman 1984 a total score of 8.25. Probably too high, but I like it. Damn it. But damn it, I enjoy the movie. That is a higher score than Wonder Woman got. Yeah, we were young then. Yeah, we were brand new to the game. We didn't know what we were doing. It was arbitrary scaling, but we cared more. (laughs) (laughs) it's got a little more loosey-goosey i was gonna say we didn't give twos out back then but we actually did we gave a two for female characters in wonder woman and we were probably (laughs) like this is unprecedented uh well here we are the scale has become a mockery of itself over time it's arbitrary damn it and we like 76 episodes that's gonna happen (laughs) look at homer simpson he's also a parody of himself exactly so brian i gotta ask you now yeah what are we talking about next week oh we're gonna keep this girl power train moving down the rail we're gonna be talking about captain marvel i've still never seen it i finally get to see it that's uh i like that we're we're checking off these movies it feels good i'm like filling in holes that you've been saving for the podcast for so long like things happen in future Marvel movies that I've seen in theaters not when I was busy having kids which just happens all the time. Right. And constantly popping them out. Uh, just, yeah, I'm not going to watch it for the sake of the show. I want to see it with fresh eyes. And here we go. I I'm get very to watch excited in Marvel. Finally. Very excited for things to start to make sense for you and connect. <laughs> I can't wait. It's going to be great. <laughs> Next week, Captain Marvel. Until then, thank you for listening. Be sure to rate, review and subscribe. Join us on Patreon this month for being John Malkovich. It's a good pick from Dave. You can email us your questions and comments at kpodcasters at gmail.com. Visit our website, kpodcasters.com. Click on that merch link and, uh, you know, pick up some swag. And you can follow us on social media at kpodcasters on all the things, especially on Facebook, where we always put up a post on our recording day asking for your questions and comments. And we've got a couple. And I regret to inform you, they're both from the Ginger Skull. (laughs) Oh, boy. He asks. Who rocks a golden suit better, Gal Gadot or Anthony Daniels? <laughs> I was like, nobody rocks anything better than Gal Gadot, but. But. However, <laughs> I think I got to give it to C-3PO. I think you have to or else there's something wrong with you. Yeah. And then his second question is, also in 1984, the Edmonton Oilers defeated the New York Islanders to win the Stanley Cup. This marks the last time the Isles have appeared in the finals. 
Isn't that a fun fact? That feels like a personal attack against you. It sure is. Um, <laughs> if I had one wish, can you make someone disappear with one of these wishes? Like you can make someone, oh, you drop dead and they do, but I don't want to kill him. I just want him to not exist. <laughs> you want to you wanna Thanos snap him, but just him. No, I don't even know if I want that. I want to wipe him out of existence entirely. entirely. You want a Doctor Strange spell him. Yes. <laughs> That's what I want to do. But then he might like pop up in weird multiverses and stuff, and I don't know if I'm prepared for multiple of him. Yeah, well, as long as they're played by other people, I think they'll be okay. <laughs> That's very Certainly fair. more tolerable. Everyone would be. No, I'm kidding. He's very personable. <laughs> oh, boy. He's coming up again soon. That's the most heartbreaking part about all this. <laughs> like, so soon, too. Dave, I want to say thank you, but I won't. <laughs> Brian, you got anything else? That's it for me. Fantastic. We're going to see everybody next week for Captain Marvel. Same pod time. Same pod merkin. Yeah.